0: Welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au We're now going to open our Bibles to Hebrews 9 verses 11 to 28. Uh, This passage is printed in the booklets on your chairs, so you can follow along. Or if you've got your Bibles or phones, you can follow along. I'll be reading from the NIV. But when Christ came as High Priest of the good things that are now already here, He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say is not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then Will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself, unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God? For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from their sins committed under the first covenant." In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it, because a will is in force only when someone has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool and branches of hyssop, And sprinkled the scroll and all the people. He said, This is the blood of the covenant, which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It was necessary then, For the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence." Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place, every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all, at the culmination of the ages, to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment... So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him.
1: Good morning, everyone. How good was it to sing today songs of worship to the Lord? I think it's so good to remember some of those words, amazing grace. How sweet the sound is, what we remember today and over the whole Easter weekend that Jesus has done for us something that we don't deserve. And I think it's wonderful to sort of focus in on that. I love Good Friday, and it sounds a little bit strange to say that on a day like today, but I love Good Friday because it brings us back to the center point of Christianity, the cross of Jesus Christ, and more to the point, the sacrifice he made for us to bring us hope for the future. A lot of the churches around the world today are celebrating Good Friday, and for many churches this is a very somber occasion. And there's no doubt that in many ways today is incredibly sad as we reflect on all that Jesus has done for us and all that he endured for us at the cross. But as Christians, we know the Easter story as a package, don't we? We know the end of the story, and so on Easter Sunday we rejoice that Jesus isn't dead, but he's alive. And that is very, very good news. So often in many faith traditions, I walk into the tabernacles and temples and I see crosses everywhere and Jesus is hanging on the cross still. And I often look at those and I think, what is Jesus still doing on the cross? Because he's no longer on the cross. He's no longer in the grave, but he has risen and he's at the right hand of the Father and he's coming back for those who love him. Church, that's incredibly good news. Incredibly good news this Easter weekend. That's the message of Easter. That's the gospel story. And it's the only possible reason that Good Friday could ever be called good. Because what happened to Jesus at Calvary was the greatest and most tragic injustice and suffering that could ever be inflicted on a human being. And yet today we remember not only what he endured on our behalf, but more importantly what he achieved On our behalf, so that we can have hope for the future. And that's something that we should remember, be reminded of, celebrate every day of our lives. And so, today, as Rowan mentioned, and you've probably noticed by now, the setup's a little bit different to usual. And uh, we've sort of ditched the band down to the back there, and we've got rid of the screens, and we've removed some of the distractions that often happen. Because today, we really want to focus in on the cross. Not that we don't do that every week at Follow. But especially over the Easter weekend, we really want to hone in on the cross and remember what Jesus achieved for us through his death and resurrection. A moment of transparency. Sometimes I find it difficult preaching at Easter. And I'll tell you why. Because I feel like we preach the gospel every week at follow. And sometimes you feel this pressure to come up with something new every week. But this week as I prayed and I prepared, God said to me, you don't have to dream up anything new at Easter. You need to just get out of the way and point to the cross. And remind people of what Jesus did so that you could once again be captivated by the most incredible story, the greatest news the universe has ever seen, that you would look to the cross today and allow the Holy Spirit to capture your heart again with the truth of what Jesus did for us. In recent weeks, we've been doing an Easter series called Jesus Is. So far, we've talked about the truth that Jesus is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. Today, the title of the message is that Jesus is the sacrifice, and it's so important on Good Friday for us to understand the significance of his sacrifice. Sacrifice is something that all of us will face in different spheres of our lives. It might be in our finances, sometimes it's in our relationships, it could be in our workplace, it can be in some of the conveniences of life, it can certainly be something that happens in our faith. there's one area of life I've noticed that sacrifice is unavoidable, and that's in the area of parenting. Just in the last couple of weeks, Kim and I have had the privilege of visiting Ben and Liza Schreurs and Josh and Gosha Alice, and we got to meet baby Hugo and little Ava, and it got my entrepreneurial brain working a little bit because they were born in the same hospital um, just hours apart, and I thought to myself, wouldn't it be great if we could come up with eHarmony for babies? Because here you've got two gorgeous kids, you've got two amazing families, they go to the same church, they love the Lord. If we could just get them together now, that would save a lot of grief and a lot of years off our life uh, later on. But I'll keep working on that in the background. But those kids are absolutely gorgeous. And when we were a little bit younger, Kim and I would go and make those visits and we'd leave the, the, the conversation and we'd get in the car and on the way home we'd say things like, oh wow, weren't they gorgeous? Wouldn't it be great to have another kid? (laughs) These days, that conversation never happens. There is a huge full stop on the end of our four kids, and uh, I won't go into too much detail, but it's been made permanent, and so we're (laughs) never going back uh, to that place. Yes, it still hurts. (laughs) But those kids are absolutely gorgeous. And as we visit families with newborn kids, we're reminded of the sacrifice of parenthood. The sacrifice starts from the moment the kid's born. Spoken as a a true man, (laughs) women will say it starts a little bit earlier, they've got this thing called pregnancy, hello. Um, But for us, as a man, uh, the sacrifices start the moment our child is born. And as you watch these parents with their newborn kids, you'll see every time the child screams, uh, they run to see what's going on, Um, you've got to change their nappy, you've got to carry them everywhere. Has anyone changed a newborn's nappy? If you haven't, it's like sticky green and brown tar and it gets in every crack and every spot, and it takes a long time to clean, and so you clean the nappy up, and you put a new nappy on just for your baby to decide, I hadn't finished my poo yet. And so they do more, and this is for you Simon and Ash back there, uh, having a baby soon. But it's uh, one of those things that there's so much work to do, and so you change their nappy, and then they squawk because they're hungry, and so you feed them, and then they want more, and so they eat more, and then you pick them up and you burp them, and then they chuck on you, and it's just constant work, work, work. And as, you get, as they get a little bit older, they grow less dependent in some ways. Everywhere I look now, I see pregnant people. Um, <laughs> as they get older, they get you know, less dependent in some ways, but more dependent in other ways. And so nappies give way to helping them make friends, teaching them how to ride a bike, brainwashing them to Barrick for St Kilda, helping them with their homework, teaching them manners, encouraging their faith, Teaching them the birds and the bees, encouraging them, um, justifying and apologizing for brainwashing them to Barrett for St Kilda. Late night party pickups are the next thing, school fees, heart to heart, sleepless nights, school pickups and drop-offs, which don't sound like much unless your kids go to Cairo and they're all the way down Bald Hill Road on the border of Ballarat. And so you've got to drive there and drop them off, and then you've got to drive back, and then you've got to drive back and pick them up, and then you gotta drive back. And there's just sacrifice, sacrifice sacrifice when it comes to raising children. And then your daughters become teenagers and all the problems stop. <laughs> You've got a whole new set of problems at that stage. But to raise children takes incredible sacrifice. And Most of you would know that our five-year-old son, Lenny, has type 1 diabetes. He is insulin dependent um, for the rest of his life, short of a miracle or a cure. And for the last couple of years since his diagnosis, it'd be fair to say that we've barely had a single night of uninterrupted sleep with his levels that kind of go up and down like a yo-yo. And so the accumulative effect of that is fairly tiring. Uh, Kim is up uh, one to three times a night checking his levels. And when Kim's up, we're all awake. And his condition has to be managed constantly, every day. And his diabetes has been a life changer for him, but it's been a life changer for our entire family. It's physically tiring. It's mentally exhausting and it's emotionally draining. But I've got to say, we've never had one single moment since Lenny was born where we've had a moment of regret. Never once have we thought to ourselves, we should have stopped at three. We thought that at four. We're stopping at four. But we never thought we should have stopped at three. And if we had our time again, we'd do all the things exactly the same again. Why is that? Well, it's so much work. Well, it's simple. It's because we love each of our kids. And the truth is, having kids requires incredible sacrifice, but at the same time, every sacrifice you have to make for your children is worth it for your kids. I've never once thought, I wish I didn't have kids. Or well, maybe a couple of times, but the vast majority of the time, we are thrilled to have kids. And I've noticed that parents are willing to sacrifice incredible things for their kids but there's one thing that most parents would never ever consider doing. They sacrifice for their kids, but most parents would never ever consider sacrificing one of their kids. If someone said today, you can save everyone in this room and all you have to do is sacrifice your kids, I would say, I love you guys, and that would be genuine. I love this community of people, but Good Friday just became a really bad Friday. and I'm not going to say who for, but you can guess, because I love my kids and I'm not giving them up for anything. We love our children. But this is the most extraordinary thing about Easter, is that we remember that God the Father sacrificed his one and only begotten son for us. That was an incredible tragedy. But the crucifixion event ends up being the most wonderful news for those who accept Christ because even though Jesus, an innocent man, was beaten and spat on and persecuted and tortured and hung on a cross to die in our place... The end result is that you and I can be forgiven and have eternal life. And that's wonderful news. In today's passage, we're going to spend most of our time in verse 27 and 28 of Hebrews chapter 9. And those two verses explain pretty clearly why Jesus' sacrifice is so important. And it starts in verse 27 by outlining our destiny. Now, we often talk about destiny uh, in the positive sense. We talk about destiny in terms of some sort of great achievements or some sort of lasting legacy... And I think that's a really good thing. Each of us has been created by a God. We are unique and valuable. And each of us have been created with a purpose. And for the Christian person, God has said that you have been saved and you have been called to follow him with your life. And God has prepared in advance good works for us to do. And so each of us has an element of destiny which is exciting and fulfilling and life-giving. And I think every day we should seek God for what he has for our lives. But this passage outlines two parts of our destiny that are not so good, and they're also unavoidable. People often say there are two unavoidable things in life, death and taxes. I think there's three, death, taxes, and St. Kilda will never win a premiership. But there's three for me. Maybe there's four. This passage doesn't talk about taxes. It doesn't talk about St. Kilda never winning a premiership. But it does talk about death, and it also talks about judgment, The first immovable object in our destiny, in our future, that we're heading towards is the reality of death. Today, if you're writing notes, I want want you to write this down. Death is unavoidable. Hebrews 9.27, the passage today, just as people are destined to die once. Now, when I was a teenager, one of my favorite movies was Terminator 2. Who woke up on Good Friday thinking, today we're going to talk about Terminator 2? Not many people, but it was one of my favorite movies, and I watched it over and over again, and you might remember that it had Arnold Schwarzenegger and he was the terminator. And he was an incredible character. And if you saw the movie, he just seemed to be absolutely indestructible. You couldn't kill this guy. I mean, you would he got shot, he got bashed and crashed, trucks would run over him, and you know he'd have an arm hanging off and he'd have eyes dangling out and he'd have sparks coming from his head, but he just kept getting up again, didn't he? You know, you'd blow him up and then you start to tear up because it's a very emotional movie. And then he would burst through the flames, and the Terminator would still be alive. Even at the end of the movie, he's been crushed to death and he just silks up and he says, I'll be back. A line that he stole from Jesus. He was the Terminator, but it seemed like he couldn't be terminated. And sometimes we live our lives like that, like we're indestructible. That we can just go through life and nothing bad's going to happen to us. We're all guaranteed that we're going to live a long and, and healthy and prosperous life. And then one day in old age, we'll just slip off to sleep on our deathbed and, and be with the Lord. But the truth is, that simply doesn't happen for many people. We're all one tragedy. We're one accident. We're one diagnosis. We're one moment away from facing death. I've conducted two funerals in the last few weeks. And the one I did last week was for an 84-year-old lady who lived a full life, loved her family, had many great memories, and she passed away in her sleep. But the other one was for a 29-year-old man who was tragically killed on a work site. And when he woke up that morning with his wife pregnant with their first child, when he kissed her goodbye, he wasn't thinking, today is going to be my last day. We would have looked at a guy like that and thought, he's got his whole life ahead of him. But the truth is that death is inevitable, and we never know when that moment will come for each of us. It's a sad thought that we're all destined to die, but it's one reality we can't avoid. And if you look around the room today, if you look around, have a look around today, this room is full of life. There's vibrancy. You guys might be half asleep, but you're breathing, right? You guys are alive. Hello, everyone's alive? Excellent, you're all alive, you're healthy. And I imagine that as you guys think about the future, nearly everyone in this room has hopes and dreams and thoughts about the future and what you're going to do in your life. And that's a wonderful thing. But here's a sobering thought. If we were to fast forward 100 years and look at this room again, there's a good chance that not one single person in this room, apart from maybe a couple of the newborns, Not one single person in this room, 100% of the people here today in 100 years will be gone. We won't be on this planet anymore. This room would be an empty room. That's a sobering thought. It's an unavoidable reality that part of our destiny is that we're destined to die once. But it's not as sobering as the next part. Because the unavoidable fact number two is that not only are we destined to die, but we're also, after that, destined to face judgment. Judgment is also... Unavoidable, Just as people are destined to die once, and after that, to face judgment, verse 27. Last weekend, we had our first ever Follows Got Talent night. Who was here for that? It was a great night, lots of fun, lots of laughs, lots of talent. Uh, we called it Follows Got Talent with a question mark, but we've decided now we can take the question mark off and just put an exclamation mark, because Follow has got talent, right? Yep. We found that out last week. We raised a bit of money for the building fund too, so that was wonderful. It was a good night all round. But last week, our family was scheduled to perform at that talent night, Um, the the famous six dwindled down to three by the time we got to the concert and a couple of people chickened out. But they were destined and they were called to perform at the Follows Got Talent night. And by their performance, you think they probably enjoyed that, but if you saw the conversations or heard the conversations in our household leading up to that event, you would know just how daunting that prospect was just how terrifying it was. To stand in front of a crowd of people, even your friends and family, maybe particularly your friends and family, knowing that everyone would be judging your performance is really a terrifying thought. Now, I'm not sure who the woman was in our family act uh, who danced with our daughters, um, but thankfully they knocked it out of the park and they won the award for the best uh, item for the night. But if anyone's seen my wife, please let me know. She's been missing since about 7 p.m. last Saturday. But you would have watched her and, you know, you probably watched my daughters as well, but you probably couldn't take your eyes off Kim because those moves were just so fluent and so amazing and, and so stunning. And she's not at all embarrassed today, but I've got to say it was a proud dad-husband moment with a hashtag on the end. You know, that, that was a great moment for me to see them up um, free and liberated to, to dance. And it was just an awesome thing. But there was a terrifying thought for them to be up the front in front of a room full of people. Maybe you haven't danced like a flamingo on stage before. <laughs> but perhaps you've been in a job interview with a room full of people that are judging your CV and assessing the answers you give to every question they ask. Maybe you haven't danced like a flamingo or been in a job interview, but maybe there's things in life that you just worry that people are judging you. They're judging your life. They're judging you know, the way you look, the things you do, the way you act, the way you parent the way you live your life, and we often worry about people judging us and what that feels like. It's an awful feeling, and it's a daunting feeling. But let me tell you this morning, it's nowhere near as daunting as what will happen after we die when we stand before the God who created us and died for us and give him an account of our lives. That's a daunting prospect. Because the truth is, if he was judging us merely on our own deeds none of us would get a favorable assessment it's like when you used to be back in school some of you are still there I don't know if this still happens but teachers used to hand the reports to the kids and what would they say don't open this until you get home to your parents but the look in their eye they knew you were going to open it as soon as you got out of eyesight me I would open that thing up straight away and I would decide am I going to give this to my parents or not because it was always a scary experience for me and and very rarely did I open that envelope and and very rarely was I happy with what I saw. The assessment was never really that good and I always felt short of what I'd hoped for. Now you might think, well, hang on a second, Luke, when it gets to judgment day and I stand before Jesus one day, that won't be a problem for me because I'm a good person. And that may be true. Maybe you are a good person. But I want to say this loud and clear today. Being a good person won't be good enough. This is not Good Friday because we've been good people. This is Good Friday because we have a magnificent saviour who's rescued us from our sin. And So we can stack our deeds, our good deeds, on top of each other for the rest of our lives. And and some of you might get really high because you're really good people. But it doesn't matter how high we stack those deeds, we'll never build our way to heaven. No matter how high that stack gets, heaven will always still be out of reach if we're trying to get there in our own strength. If you are relying on your goodness to earn a relationship with God on that day, you'll be faced with a tragic realization that your goodness wasn't good enough. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so today, all of us have this in common. We have these two immovable objects in our future as part of our destiny, which are unavoidably located there. All of us will die once, unless Jesus returns in the meantime, and all of us will stand before Christ and be judged. And on that day, we'll all fall short of the perfect standard, the glory of God, but this is where Jesus steps into the breach for us. This is what makes this Friday Good Friday that Jesus steps into the breach and he does for us what we could never ever do for ourselves. He takes the penalty for our sin. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life because I am willing to be your sacrifice. And so today, death is inevitable. Judgment is inevitable. But the most important thing to remember today is that Jesus is the answer. Just as people are destined to die once, And after that, to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. This is what theologians call Jesus being our substitutionary atonement. He was our substitute. In other words, on the cross, Jesus took our place and paid the penalty we deserved for all the sins that we've committed. Only Jesus... Can solve the issue of these two great obstacles we face, the obstacles of death and judgment. The Book of Hebrews spends a lot of time comparing the Old Testament to the New Testament. And it makes it clear that many things we read about in the Old Testament are really just shadows of something greater that's going to be fulfilled in the new through Jesus. And one of those shadows was the sacrificial system. God is that we know He's a God of love part of his love is that he's also a God of justice. And because of that, he, he can't let go the things that we do wrong. His justice demands that there are consequences for those who do the wrong things. And that is all of us here this morning. Earlier in Hebrews chapter 9, it says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death and it's that death penalty that each of us here this morning deserve for the things that we've done wrong. Now, in the Old Testament, God gave the law, and the law included a sacrificial system where the high priest, the great high priest, would be the mediator between us and God the Father. And this mediator, once a year, this high priest would enter a small room within the temple called the Holy of Holies. is where God's present dwelt. And once a year, only him could step into the presence of God and when he was there, he would offer a blameless sacrifice, an animal, a sheep or a cow or a bull. And he'd bring it before the Lord and he would sacrifice that animal and that animal would die in our place because the death penalty that we deserve for our sin was paid. And so Jesus, not because the animal could take our price, but because of God's mercy, his mercy was extended to us when that sacrifice was paid. But that sacrificial system was never meant to be a permanent solution. It was a temporary solution that pointed to a greater sacrifice once and for all in the future. This is where Jesus' sacrifice is so significant for each of us. The Bible calls him the sacrificial lamb of God. You see, not only was Jesus our great high priest who mediates between us and God the Father, but at the same time, he also became our sacrifice. He became our substitute by taking our sin upon himself, paying the penalty for it, and dying in our place. Each of us are destined to die. We're destined to be judged, but Jesus is the answer. I've got four volunteers today that I'm going to ask to come forward now, and you'll notice as they come forward that each of them is carrying their own sins. These are hypothetical people. But they are carrying their own sins today as they come up to the cross of Jesus. And this Good Friday, we're going to see visually, not just from my words, but visually how they're going to respond to what Christ did for them at the cross. So I'm going to welcome them up for that now. Jesus took away my anger, my bitterness, and my selfishness. Jesus has taken away my shame greed and lust
0: jesus has taken away my hate apathy and arrogance Uh, i don't need jesus
1: what you see in front of you is really a snapshot of what jesus is going to see on judgment day we've got four people up here no one's better than anyone else Perhaps even the person on the end could be the best person. They've done the most good things. And they've all got the same starting point. And the same starting point is this, that they're simply sinners. And each of them is going to have to pay the penalty and carry their own sin. But on judgment day, as Jesus stands and he looks at these four people, he's going to see these three. And he's going to look at them and they are no longer carrying their own sin. And he's going to look at them and he's going to issue his judgment. It's not based on what they've done, but it's based on the fact that they put their faith in Jesus. And he's going to look at them and he's going to say, innocent. He's going to say, righteous. He's going to say, forgiven. And that's a wonderful thing on judgment day, to stand before Jesus knowing that you're going to spend eternity with him because you're no longer carrying your own sin. But unfortunately for the other person who's decided with their pride, no, I can carry my own sin. I don't need Jesus. When it comes to that day, that judgment day, Jesus is going to look at that person and it's going to break his heart. But he's going to have no choice but to say guilty. And the reason he's going to say guilty is not because they're any worse off than the other three people, but simply because they chose that they wouldn't allow Jesus to carry their sins and they thought in their pride they could carry them themselves. That is an absolute tragedy. God says his desire is that none should perish But on that day, God the Father will look at these three people and he won't see their sin or their brokenness or the way they've fallen short, but he'll simply see the blood of his son Jesus who sacrificed his life for them and he won't see them as those sinners, but he'll see them as his children. But the tragedy is the ratio in our world is so much different to what we see on the platform. It's more like one to four the other way. And there are many people this Easter time that have yet to put their faith in Jesus and one day they're destined to die and they're destined to face judgment. And even though Jesus is the answer, they haven't accepted him as their Lord and Savior. I pondered Jesus' suffering this week and I thought about what he went through for us. The disrespect he experienced as people spat in his face. The injustice of the way that he was treated, the mock trial he had to endure, the physical pain of being beaten and whipped. And I could only imagine the agony, not only the physical, but also the spiritual agony as he bore our sin and was separated from his father on the cross. And then I thought of my own son and my own kids, and I thought to myself, how could God possibly do that to his only son? When I know as a parent I could never do it to any of my kids, how could he possibly do that as I prayed through that and pondered that I could only come to one conclusion? And that is God sacrificed his son because he was compelled by love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. Jesus may have been God's one and only begotten Son, born of a virgin, unique in his relationship, a one of a kind relationship with God the Father. But Jesus wasn't his only child. God the Father looked through the cross. And on the other side, he saw the opportunity for each of us to be adopted as the forgiven children of God through the sacrifice of his Son. And as he waited up and did the Mass, he said, It's worth it. He said, He's worth it for you. What an incredible sacrifice! that he would make for each of us. This Easter, like every Easter, we have the opportunity to put our faith in Christ. And There's two options, really. We can either receive him or we can reject him. Because this passage finishes by saying, Jesus will appear a second time. He's coming back. But next time when he comes back, he's not coming back to bear our sin. He's already done that. And so this is our opportunity. Now's the time to put your faith in Jesus because when he returns, which could be at any time, He's not coming back to bear sin again. He's coming to judge those who've rejected him. But the most exciting thing about this passage is that it says he's coming back to bring salvation for all those who are waiting for him. And so the only question that remains today is on that day, that judgment day, will Jesus pay your price? Or will you pay it yourself? Will you be welcomed in to eternity with a God who created you and loved you and wants relationship with you? Or will you carry your sin yourself and be separated from him for all eternity? Today my prayer is that none here today, nobody here today, would leave this place carrying their own sin. But they put their faith in a saviour who carried it for them. On the cross, stretched out his hands and said, it is finished. Doesn't have to be brought up again. It doesn't have to be lived. It's forgiven. It's forgotten. And when you stand before Jesus that day, the verdict will be given that you're forgiven and saved. That makes today not just a good day, but it makes it a great day for all those who put their faith in Jesus. Let's bow our heads and we're going to pray. As every head is bowed and every eye is closed today, I don't know everyone here today, but I want to give opportunity on a day like today for every person here to consider the message of Jesus and what he did for you at the cross. As I said today, my prayer is that no one would leave this room unsure about whether they're in relationship with God. I want no one to leave this room today unsure about whether they're carrying their own sin. And today, you're destined to die, you're destined to be judged, but Jesus is the answer. And so today, while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if you've never received Christ as your Lord and Saviour, and you're not sure about what happens on that day when you stand before his judgment throne, I want to give you an opportunity to say, yes, Luke, today I need a saviour. I know I've fallen short. I know I've made mistakes. I know I've sinned. But I want to put my trust in Christ who will carry my sin for me, will bring me back into relationship with God the Father and will give me hope for eternal life. And so while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if that's you this morning, I want to give you an opportunity just to lift your hand and I'd love to pray with you at the end of the service that you can leave this place knowing that you're going to spend eternity with Him. The greatest sin that can ever happen. The greatest moment of life is the moment that you accept what Christ did and give your heart to Him. And so is there anybody here this morning at all that says, yeah, Luke, that's me. I want to make this step. Dear Lord Jesus, as we ponder the cross today, we thank you so much for your sacrifice. It takes our future from something that was hopeless to something that has hope. Lord, I trust that every person in this room has put their faith and their trust in you. And we remember that that sacrifice is the one that we should have paid. But we thank you that we can escape that judgment by putting our faith in you. And so today, as we go into our day, I pray that we'd go with hearts that are heavy for what happened to you, but full of praise because of what you achieved for us at the cross. We say thank you, Jesus, for being the center of our lives, for being the vision of this church, and for being the savior of our souls. And we pray this today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.